Hold the applause until after you hear the homily, by the way. <clears throat> so today we celebrate the Feast of Corpus Christi, the body and blood of Jesus, the most personal thing that God possibly could have done for us in giving us his own body. And so I was at a wedding yesterday and just like I do at every wedding and every funeral, right before Holy Communion, I make an announcement. And I generally say something along the lines of, I would like to welcome any of our visitors from various faith denominations and different philosophical beliefs, because you often have a lot of people who are not Catholic at these various celebrations, either the celebration of a wedding or when we're praying for a person after they die at the funeral. And I say, you're welcome in the Catholic Church, but I would ask that only those practicing Catholics come forward to receive Holy Communion. And I will tell you, out of all of the things that I say on a regular basis, that particular comment makes people, I think, the most uncomfortable. And maybe many of us in this church have been very uncomfortable when the priest says that. Only Catholics can receive Holy Communion. I get a lot of, I get a lot of pushback on that one. I've had multiple people come up to me after Mass, whether they be Catholic or non-Catholic, from the Catholic's point of view, the objection is, well, we say that we are welcoming people. You know, you even said that, Father. But if we're going to be welcome, why don't we allow them to come to Holy Communion? And then, from the non-Catholic, you know, I just felt so rejected. I felt like I didn't belong. Um, I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. I felt excluded. And so it's one of those comments in church teachings that we really are uncomfortable with. And the reason I think that we're probably so uncomfortable with it is because one of our major coach cultural values that we hold in America particularly is inclusion. We really hold the value of inclusion at a very high level as Americans. And so we have this desire to include as many people and be as welcoming as possible. We have political correct speech and we even have words like inclusive speech. And this is a massive element. It's one of our big values. But just like any other value, it comes with both positives and negatives. If we really take a step back and we think about it, We highly value being exclusive in many ways on a daily basis. I'll give an obvious example. 
if I was a father of a daughter who was a teenager, maybe 13 or 14 or 15 years old, and there was a young man, a boy, who I felt had poor designs on my daughter, I wouldn't say, hey, you can have any kind of relationship with my daughter that you'd like. That would be absurd. In fact, that would be abusive as a father. I would be exclusive. I would say, no, you don't belong here in this relationship with my daughter. You are excluded. We perpetually exclude people from certain parts of our private and intimate lives, as we should. We don't have an open door policy at our homes for any person that feels just like they want to casually walk in to our homes and open our refrigerator or walk into our bedroom. Certain family members or people that we have decided or have a relationship with might be able to just kind of come into our homes, relatives or whatever, without knocking and just kind of make themselves at home. But not some random person off the street. They're excluded. They don't have a right to come into our homes. And rightfully so. In church, we use these words which connotate an exclusive and inclusive connotations. We talk about things that are holy and sacred. Those two words have very similar meanings, holy and sacred. They need to be set apart for the things of God. Set apart for the things of God, holy and sacred. On the other end, we have a term that means common, like everyday use. The word for that is profane. Profane doesn't have necessarily a negative connotation. It just means it's a common thing. It's something that just we use every day. And, and it wouldn't hold as high of a value or respect as would something that is sacred. For instance, when we walk into the church from, let's say, outside the streets, we have these different spaces that represent and are set aside for sacred things. They're exclusive for, for very particular reasons. So we have the narthex, which is the long hallway right outside the church. That's like the, that's like the place where we come from the outside world and it's getting us ready to enter into the church. It's like a mix of being in church and being outside. It's like the melting pot. Then we have these very big doors in this church that it's very clear that when you walk through those doors, you're walking into something that is different. It's set aside for the things of God, the church. 
And then we have this space, the level that I'm on right now, which is called the sanctuary. And the sanctuary is a very sacred spot. We would not act in the sanctuary, or even the church for that matter, in the same way that we would act at a movie theater or a playground. Because this is sacred. Before the Second Vatican Council, pretty much every church that had ever been built in the, in the world up until that point, Catholic or Orthodox, would have a gate of some sort dividing the sanctuary from the rest of the church. And even in, if you go into an Orthodox church today, you'll see these gates and even a door with a lock to get into the sanctuary. So you can only kind of see partially what's going on in the sanctuary because it's that sacred of a spot. The most holy thing that we do as human beings happens here. That's why we walk up here with reverence. It's set apart for the things of God. We as Catholics, we don't use coffee mugs or beer mugs for the Eucharist for consecrating the precious body and the precious blood of Jesus. We use gold, ciborium. We even have names for these things, sometimes very goofy names. Chalices that are gold-plated, silver-plated. That's because they're set apart. They're very special for the things of God. They are not for common use. And so these distinctions are very important. Bob Dylan, one of my favorite lines from Bob Dylan was, is from a song called It's Alright Ma, and he talks about how nothing is sacred anymore. He's lamenting. He's lamenting that we don't value, we don't make some of these distinctions. And therefore, the less that we value these distinctions of what is sacred and, and holy and set apart, and those things that are profane, we start to dehumanize one another. All sorts of things start to fall apart. And so, as we're here celebrating this feast of Corpus Christi, this feast where Jesus gave the most personal thing that he possibly could have given us, his own body. We remember that this is something special and precious. It's interesting that the number one image that is used by Jesus to help us understand what he's doing, why he's here, his purpose, why he became a human being, is a wedding feast. Jesus, over and over again, talks about himself as the groom. He talks about the church as the bride. It's very personal, sacred language. The book of Revelation, the very last book in the New Testament, the very last book in the Bible, talks about the final image that we have. When everything's said and done, It's the wedding feast of the Lamb, where the groom receives the bride. 
the church. Jesus himself receives the church. And we live in this perfect union forever. The very first book of the Bible, the very first scene, the very first drama, is a wedding drama. It's kind of a divorce. John Paul II talks about two things using the exact same language. He talks about what a married couple take part in, the sacred bond that a married couple take part in, as one flesh union. And he talks about when we receive Holy Communion every Sunday, or every day for some of us, as one flesh union. The exact same term for both of these sacred, sacred events. That's because both of those events that take place in our lives, which are sacred and exclusive, they're only for the members that belong to those covenants. That is what we call covenant ratification. It's affirming that we belong in this holy covenant where we have fully given ourselves to this person in the instance of marriage, our spouse, in the instance of Holy Communion, Jesus. And we affirm this, the body of Christ. Amen. That's what we say. Yes. I affirm that this is Jesus' body that I'm about to receive. I affirm what the church teaches with regards to this teaching and the rest of the church's teachings. Because I'm a part of this covenant relationship. And I will share the fruits of the intimacy of this relationship with Jesus. So we receive the groom. And there's nothing greater that the Lord could have given us than what he gives us at the Mass. And that's why it's so important that we're at Mass. That's why the church is always making a big deal about Sunday Mass. is because it is the covenant ratification. If it was just a symbol, it would not be that big of a deal for anyone to receive. It would be an invitation, and it would be symbolic invitation. We don't believe the Eucharist is symbolic. We believe it is real. It is truly the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus. And that he desires to share in this intimacy with us. And he gives us his body. And so, just as Jesus said to his first apostles at that very first Mass, the Last Supper, we've heard about it today, we heard Deacon proclaim it in the Gospel, Jesus says these incredibly moving words to the apostles right before the dinner, right before the Last Supper, where he's giving himself to them. He says, I have deeply desired 
to share this meal with you today. I have deeply desired to share myself with you today. So he says that to our first communicants today who will receive Jesus for the first time. And he also says that to all of us today and every single time we receive him here in the Eucharist. Jesus, thank you for the gift of giving yourself to us in this really personal and intimate way of the Eucharist. Help us to have a deep reverence for the Eucharist. Help us to recognize and bring about in us this interior desire for you, this inner longing of the heart. We ask you, Lord, to help us to not take for granted the sacredness of this event that we take part in every Sunday and in every Mass. Help us to adore you, Lord, and to grow in communion and intimacy with you. Thank you for this gift. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's take a few minutes in silent prayer to just listen to and speak with the Lord Jesus in our hearts.